my listeners, and welcome to another footnote episode of the Fantasy Animation Podcast. I'm Alex Sargent. And I'm your motion-captured Chris Holiday. We're doing motion capture we this are. week, Chris. So are you, am I seeing you, the physical version of Chris Holiday, or am I seeing an indexical copy of you captured through the medium of digital technology? You are seeing a mediated, computer-animated, performance, motion-tracked Chris Holiday. Right, well, we've got 10 minutes to unpack what that means. Um, starting <laughs> sure. now. Okay, so I think first of all, or one of the easiest ways to think about motion capture is that it is often considered the, a technology of the digital. It is a technology of the digital era. Uh, it is often seen as a, a form of digital puppetry that updates what used to be called or has been called or was called in the 30s and 40s at the Disney studio, rotoscoping. Rotoscoping may end up being a podcast in the future, but I'll give a quick... Rotoscoping is the filming of live-action footage and then the tracing over it via animation, and it was used for characters like Snow White, but crucially not for the dwarfs, and I think there's a deliberate sort of play with humanity versus caricature in, in Snow White. So taking that... So e just to be crystal clear, yep. they got someone to be Snow White live on the set, they filmed, filmed it, it, and then they got they literally traced over traced it. Traced over it, yes. Right. And that's how they made the images of Snow White, yeah. particularly bits where she's like running around the woods. Yes, stuff. and and adding a degree of humanity okay. to her, which so, is super important. So digital technology changes that. What's the what's happening now? So digital technology, if we take that ethos of, of tracing live action mm -hmm. or the thinking of using the human as the primary control mechanism that's where motion capture comes from. So a process that is akin to a form of digital puppetry. Why um, is it a form of digital puppetry then, if the performer is being captured? So, okay, so um, motion capture is unusual. I suppose if you think about traditions of performance and puppetry and performing objects, um, in the case of puppetry, you have a puppeteer and you have the audience, and they are their eyes are trained on the same thing, i.e. the puppet. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of dance, you are watching the dancer and the dance simultaneously. There's not the puppet that exists in between. The person controlling is the dancer yes. versus the controller of the or, puppet. Or just acting. Or just acting, yes, exactly, exact, acting. So I'm interested in these traditions of performing objects and puppet theater and, and, and ways that motion capture has been understood is as a form of digital puppetry, i.e. that you have a performer on a stage with lots and lots of different um, markers, technological markers. They perform a scene that is transposed live onto a computer screen that is looked at by the director and the, the, the filmmaker. And so you've got that kind of, the puppet is the intermediary, the, what's on the computer screen. What's slightly different is that the performer is the puppet sort of thing. And so, but it's often because in terms of that, those mechanisms or hierarchies right, of control. Okay, so in the analogy, the, pu the person doing the mocap, Andy yeah. Circus is a puppet, is the puppet and the puppeteer is the computer animator who is now playing with their image. No, no, the opposite. Andy Circus is the puppeteer and the puppet. But how is how is Andy Circus puppeteering? Because he's controlling himself. He's he's creating a series of movements that will be provided to the animators I who see. would animate. So Andy Circus like, like a puppeteer plate like controls their own movements to make the puppet move. Yeah. Andy Circus is doing that to make Gollum move. Yes. Got it. So he is he is the boat he is the puppeteer um, because he's he is the primary control mechanism of, of animated movement. But what what is being spit out um, spitted out on the computer is the outcome of that mm. process, which is the digital puppet, which is now there as data, as fair game for a series of animators to um, play with and kind of talk about and discuss and move body parts and say, mm, how could we augment? So, so 
one of the tension, one of the big tensions in motion capture is the question that you kind of hinted at, which is about labour right. as much as it is yeah, practice. Because when, when, when I hear about it, I think Andy Serkis plays Gollum live on set, happening on a screen. It's it, They like to make it as simple as that, right? Yes. But actually what you're saying is that they've got Andy Serkis live on set. You've got the digital image that he is puppeteering, to use your words. Yep. You've got people then taking that image and perhaps augmenting it, yep. changing it, making yep. it more animated. So you've actually got kind of three processes of mediation going on yep. before we get to encounter it on screen. And there's lots of potential to hidden to hide some of the labor going yeah right? so a lot of the stuff that's written about motion capture and i'll flag up um um an article towards the end but it's it's really about the sort of labor hierarchies and structures and practices and workflow of like so many digital technologies but the workflow of motion capture so um there are writers who ask who performs the digital image in a in one of our other episodes we've talked about um happy feet and motion capture in relation to the erasure of labor uh, who's to say that the person, in the case of Andy Serkis, the relationship is more one-to-one. -one. He is the star, he is performing, he is creating a digital puppet, and the animators are animating to that, but animated, a lot of the, the writing around Andy Serkis is that he was there on set, it's still his live performance, and he's really the author of this performance. There is nothing to say, for example, that the person who provides the motion capture body movements is the person who does the animated voice. So there's a bunch of computer animated films. Christmas Carol is a good example where you have Tiny Tim who is voiced by, I think, like Gary Oldman or something. Or Gary Oldman, no, Gary Oldman does the voice, uh, the, uh, does the movement, but someone else provides the voice. So there's this myth or this illusion of um, authorship with motion capture that isn't true because there's no there's no reason why the person who does the movements also has to do the voice uh, and of course on top of that you have a bunch of animators yeah. who are who are making creative decisions about whether this character is going to look like Andy Serkis or it's going to look like Angelina Jolie in um, Beowulf or it's going to look like um, Gollum who looks nothing like Andy Serkis. So the, the, what, what um, writers have called the kind of gender relations, gender-based hierarchies, performance or motion capture's labor climate, there's a lot going on in relation to the, the labor structures of, of motion capture, which we tend to think of as relatively straightforward, as you said, creator, and you know, the, the, the cause and effect of motion capture, when it's a lot more complex than that. And when is this used in like contemporary um, cinema? I'll say it as broad as that. Yeah, uh, okay, so the, we tend to think of motion capture in and around, let's say, the first few years um, of the early 2000s. You get a run of motion capture films. You get... So this is actually a post-Gollum phenomenon. Oh. That was the first... Well, there was Judge Binks, right? That was... I was don't motion capture or was that just a, a sort of reference point live on set? I think that was an entirely... Um, I think you might be right because even I remember with my fantasy hat on from like the Lord of the Rings documentaries and stuff that accompanied the DVDs that there were, a lot was made of the pioneering use of we actually decided to capture live on set the footage that Andy was, was filming. Yeah, so uh, Jar Jar Binks is the first fully computer-generated supporting character in a live-action film. He acted out the character, Ahmed Best, the voice, voiced the character, um, but he acted the character out with prosthetics on set, and then it was animated too. Right. So, that, so that is slightly... Motion capture is very specifically... these. You often see behind-the-scenes images of actors in jumpsuits with dots. So we could say Jar Jar Binks was digitally rotoscoped to an extent. In that what's yeah, happening but there yeah. Is that they're taking the live action footage in the same way they did with Snow White and yeah. they are animating on top of that. Yeah, they are doing something in the same way you'd add makeup to a performance in the theatre. Somehow the, the digital yeah. is augmenting a performance. Um, 
this is taken to extremes in motion capture because all the actors producing in motion capture, it might be the voice, not always, but is often the voice. And especially if there are stars performing, we want stars to sound a certain way, so it makes sense to keep their voice. But often they're just providing data, literally a, a stick man on a screen with a series of, of um, or stick figure on a screen with a series of dots that are the basis for the, a performance that would be then added to by the animators. So actually, the role of the animators is really important um, within motion, motion capture. And will that depend slightly on the, the kind of power relations then of the, of the performer? Because I can imagine if you're hiring someone just to kind of be a reference point on set yeah. that day, the animator's going to get quite a lot of creative freedom to do what they want with that information. It's just a, it's a tool for the animator, really, to kind of... Yeah. In the same way that like I've heard of animators, like, you know, photograph some fish when they're making, like, Finding Nemo and stuff like that. Yeah. But I can imagine if it's, like, Andy Circus, a sort of name, then there's going to be a, a need within the process to kind of be more... Um, uh, or have more fidelity to his movement on set rather than yes. like using that just as a template. Yes, it would. It could be a template, but what it could do is be actually something that the behind the scenes or the industry discourse can really latch onto and say, no matter how abstracted this character looks, don't worry, we still had any circus. It's still yeah. it's still a degree of authenticity behind it. Whereas in the case of Happy Feet, as we, we've talked about, um, Savian Glover does the motion capture for the Penguins. At no point did Hugh Jackman or Brittany Murphy or yeah. uh, Nicole Kidman adorn motion capture suits and perform like that. So uh, la labor and, and and the way that voice in relation to body works, um, I would say, yeah, it's a post-gone phenomenon. So there are there are kind of films like, mostly directed by Robert Zemeckis. He made three really important motion capture films, Polar Express, Beowulf, and A Christmas Carol. By 2011 and the release of Mars Needs Mums, uh, very famously sort of signaled the death knell for motion capture, so often seen as too expensive, not viable, and also producing a kind of an uncanny effect. Sure. There are other films, Monster House uses motion capture. Rango doesn't use motion capture, but filmed the characters and used that. That's more in line with rotoscoping, actually. So motion capture is often an effect in live-action films and has returned to that, really, if we think about the rise of the Planet of the Apes films sure, and sure. stuff like that. Avatar being a kind Avatar, of but again, it's what's fascinating about, about uh, motion capture is more more the extra textual industry discourse that surrounds it and the need often for big companies to sort of say, don't worry, this isn't a automatically generated process. We have creatives at the level of animators, but we also really did have Benedict Cumberbatch doing Smaug. We also definitely did have him on set. And that, that rhetoric of authenticity is really important. Okay, so for listeners who want to read more about uh, motion capture, its history and its theory, um, any recommended readings? Yes, so I would say, um, so there's a lot of interesting stuff on, on um, digital puppetry I would say there's work by a scholar um, called Steve Tillis um, T-I-L-L-I-S which I'll put on the um, website uh, he writes a lot about different forms of performing objects um, and places I think places motion capture within a lineage of a kind of marionette performance and performing objects I mean John Bell has also written a book called American Puppet Modernism which talks a little bit about this um, and asks the question quite explicitly who performs the digital image um, but Steve Tillis has written a article called The Art of Puppetry in the Age of Media Production which is really I mean he's written lots and lots of other things in relation to the occlusion of labour and acting and puppet theatre and, and acting theory but um, I'd say the art of the puppet uh, puppetry in the age of media production and uh, towards an aesthetics of the puppet is really useful and then specifically with motion capture and, and labor 
uh, one of the best articles um, on motion capture, Mahela Mahalova's collaboration with that representation, labor issues in motion and performance capture. So it does a lot of work in relation to, as I said, the labor climate of performance capture, thinking about hierarchies, thinking about kind of animators' contribution to the process uh, and, and how motion capture is played out through uh, promotion and public discourse. A little bit over time, but I'll let you get away with it. Thank um, you. That's been us for another episode. If you've got a suggestion for a future footnote episode, fan and in research, F-A-N, a-N-I-M research at gmail.com uh, or tag us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Otherwise, see you next time. Bye.